Welcome to Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Visit artuk.org to browse paintings, sculpture, and works on paper from collections across the UK. And follow us on your favorite social media channel at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. Next time you're uploading an image to Instagram, scroll to the bottom of the page where you add the caption and you'll see advanced settings. Within these settings, you'll have the option to add something called alt text. This is brief text that enables screen reading applications to describe what an image looks like. This is just one small way to make visual media more accessible online. But have you thought much about how blind and partially sighted people experience visual media in galleries and museums? Intervocalize. We're a charity and we receive public funding from Arts Council England um, to work with museums and theatres across the UK to improve accessibility for their visitors. That's Anna Feynman, the Museums, Galleries and Heritage Programme Manager for Vocalize. I manage the museum programme and our work includes training museum staff in audio description and visual awareness. We create um, recorded audio descriptive guides to uh, museums and galleries. We create uh, tactile drawings and deliver live audio descriptive tours at which um, tactile opportunities can be used to create a really multi-sensory experience. And um, we'll also offer consultancy on on a range of topics um, such as inclusive design, accessible technology and audience development. One common misconception is that people are either sighted or have no sight at all. But in reality, there's a much more nuanced spectrum of sight perception. It's actually only about 4% of people registered blind who will have no sight whatsoever. Um, therefore, the majority of people will have some degree of perception. And this will change over time and uh, for some people it may change during the course of a day depending on, on various different factors. So we feel it's important to not necessarily focus on how much sight a person has but just to be very aware that levels of sight will vary and to focus on you know, providing a variety of means to support access. Given the inherent visual nature of art, I wondered if any mediums or activities were better than others for creating accessible programming and content. In terms of preferences for for engagement with art, everybody has has different preferences for for how they'd like to access um, artworks or galleries. Um, So it's exactly the same for people with, with sight loss. Audio description is a key means by which to support access to art um, and audio description it's the it's the use of very precise language um, structured in a particular way to coherently describe a space or a work or a display and this can be delivered live as part of an audio described tour or, or recorded as part of a guide um, and that's that's a very popular means um, f- for people with sight loss to be able to engage with artworks. There's also um, potentially the, the, the tactile um, side of things. 
so for for work such as sculpture um if if they can be touched if 3d works can be touched or handled you know that can give a real sense and experience of the work that couldn't necessarily be be captured in words um and that would that allows the visitors to sort of explore at their own at their own pace and it means that they want to finding out what they want to about the work Vocalize's work with Sculpture is how I first became aware of them because they're one of Art UK's partners on our Sculpture digitization project. Not only did our team do training with Vocalize, they're working with us on activities across the country. We're undertaking quite a few strands of work as, as part of this, this huge project, which includes training of, of collection staff in audio description and visual awareness. More to come uh, later this year is a, a recorded audio description project, which is uh, just in the early stages. So I can't say too much about that just now, but it's that's going to be really exciting and should be reaching all regions across the UK. But well underway is our creative practical workshops um, with galleries, for which we're working with the artist Sally Booth. And um, we're delivering these workshops at a, at a series of different venues across the UK. And these are, are really to help people with sight loss to engage with their local sculpture collection. While Art UK is working with Vocalize to focus on sculpture activities, there are other mediums that can also facilitate interesting tactile engagement with works. A tactile drawing or, or diagram can be quite a useful tool for sort of giving a top-level overview of, of a work. I suppose, well, it's going to say more commonly a, a 2D, but actually not, not necessarily. Um, and it, the aim with a tactile drawing would not be to replicate every detail of, of a piece of work, because that's just going to be really hard to discern in a tactile way. Um, so it's, it's sort of reducing a work to the key component parts, and it acts a little bit like a map. Um, so when initially engaging with the work, you can understand, OK, this this aspect of the work is in is in this part um, and its size is relative to this other part of the work. And you, you get a sort of sense of of the whole and what the scale is and how the different parts relate to each other. A bit earlier, Anna mentioned working with Sally Booth on some of our sculpture workshops. Sally is an artist with personal and professional experience of visual impairment and uses her skills to help teach others. I teach two groups of visually impaired adults and they're quite small groups, sort of no more than eight people in a class. And everybody will have a different sort of visual impairment and also different interests. So the class ranges uh, from people who have no sight at all to people who are partially sighted. And uh, so some, so their chosen mediums uh, can be quite different. We're both working with both 3D and 2D materials. So some students want to work with very tactile materials such as, uh, such as clay or wood. Um, and we have a small kiln where I work as well, so people will make their own sculptures or, or ceramic pots. And others are wanting to actually 
do drawing and painting or collage. And I even have a, an artist who is com completely blind, but he is doing concrete po poetry on the computer. <laughs> and concrete poetry is a completely visual form. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it follows a shape. Uh, the poem actually follows a shape so okay. so quite intellectually challenging as well people uh, then they're not just sort of copying pictures from postcards or anything like that it's so is is this all simultaneously you have one person doing sculpture yes. one doing yes oh, so you're very busy, <laughs> <I'm> very busy. <laughs> I, go, I go from one to the next so yeah, yeah so that, that does have its challenges in that um for example, you know, just simple things like when you're setting up a class like that, it's not like you're teaching French and you're all doing the same exercise, right. working from the same book. You know, it's it's everybody, I have to set up their own workstation so so that they've got everything that they might need to hand. Uh, so, um, you know, so that so that there's less sort of moving about the, the art room, you know, trying to find stuff I sort of try and anticipate what they might need and and they have their they prefer to they will prefer to sit in the same space as as last week that kind of thing so um that kind of familiarity makes things uh it just needs a bit of preparation really as a practicing artist with visual impairment Sally explained to me how her personal experiences have informed her professional approach I've had to change the way I work just because my vision has changed and deteriorated either quite dramatically or quite gradually um, at different points in, in my life. So in order to continue working as an artist, I've had to change the methods that I work. I now use higher contrast medium. I use Indian ink instead of pencil. I started to find that I couldn't, if I was drawing, when I pick up the pencil and go back again, I can't see where to put it exactly. So okay. I, I developed a way kind of subconsciously of not taking my hand off the paper. So working in a more fluid way. So that affects the way the work looks and the materials I use. Are there some artists in UK collections that are visually impaired, partially sighted, or yes, lots and lots. So, um, the most famous ones, I'm not sure that Claude Monet, I'm not sure that lots of people knew that when he was doing those wonderful water lily paintings towards the end of his life in his late 60s, still climbing up ladders, doing massive. Um, 70 foot long water lily paintings, he was registrable as blind at that time. He had cataracts and had one one eye that he could see blue and one eye that could see yellow. Um, so struggled a lot with his vision, but carried on. Um, and these sort of beautiful, out of focus, sort of no horizon paintings, you can see those in, in Tate Modern today. There are also people like Edgar Degas who lost his sight as he got older. And so he changed his working methods. He changed from his pastels became much more rough and uh, and crude. And then he decided to change to working in sculpture. So those the sculptures of the ballerinas are directly because he lost his, his sight to draw them. Um, That's so interesting. I mm, never knew that. Yes. So, and then contemporary-wise, there are lots of artists working now. Um, and uh, I guess the one who's the one who's most uh, who most recently passed away, Sagi Man, used to teach at 
Camberwell, and uh, his his painting, everyone said his painting got better <laughs> as he lost his sight because he he became much more sort of he was he still retained the rigor that was so important to him but his colors became much more dramatic um, and he would have devices like he had uh, as he was losing his sight he had a he had a cardboard roll that was the height of his wife in the studio so that mm-hmm. he could get the right height of her in the painting of her <laughs> Um, there's something kind of sweet about yeah. that I don't know why <laughs> so with all these sort of like personal methods and he would have to look at his work through a little telescope to see what he'd done and he mm-hmm. eventually lost his sight completely and the next day went into his studio and thought well I don't know what to do I'll just carry on and his daughter went past and said dad that's fantastic <laughs> so his paintings later on in life were full of color and the sky might have been orange instead of blue but they were all still sort of beautiful colorist paintings um mm. and then more pe- people who are working now there are in terms of painting there's Jonathan Huxley and he's a professional artist he's represented by Crane Calman Gallery in Kensington he's gone over to Paris he's done ultraviolet ultraviolet night paintings in nightclubs for Grace Jones's birthday party his his what a sentence that you just said <laughs> ultraviolet say that again ultraviolet paintings in the nightclub at Grace Jones's birthday party in New York um, and all his his he does work which is full of people and they're all they're fuzzy little people and they're all full of movement um, with with plain but with uh, plain background so they're they're just full of life and um, other other artists um, Aaron McPeak he does beautiful bronzes and also lovely photographs of shadows. And he's working at the moment and just doing a commission for Battersea Art Centre. So oh, I could I could give you a list. <laughs> but and then yeah. there are other if people are interested in other sort of disabled artists and visually impaired artists, the Adam Reynolds Memorial Bursary. There are at least three artists who got that award who were visually impaired. Um, and then there's an unlimited uh, strand of funding where a couple of artists such as Rachel Gadsden got, got one of those. And there's the National Disability Arts Archive where you can look up disabled artists of which many are visually impaired. If you work in a gallery space or if you work with visual materials in any way, you may be curious to know how you can make your work more accessible for others. Anna and Sally have a few simple tips. The best thing they can do really is develop um, an ethos whereby inclusion of people with disabilities is standard practice throughout the organisation. That includes back of house in terms of staffing as, as well as visitors. It's just a really good idea to, to train to train staff in visual awareness and techniques such as audio description um, so that they have the, the skills and knowledge and confidence to be able to, to welcome people with sight loss. I think it happens really right from before the visit, even planning the visit. Um, if, if I 
have a look at a, a website of a museum or gallery if they've got information about access or they've got a phone number you can ring if you want to get advice or they're quite clear about what resources they've got and what they haven't got that's absolutely fine if i if i see that they've taken trouble to do that and that's easy to find and they've given you clear instructions how to get there that kind of that all helps for me, if I can if I can actually access their print material about what's on in their program, if it's so tiny um, that I can't tell what's on, or the information about if you need this in large print is in such tiny print, I wouldn't be able to find it. Um, yeah. They're very simple things that don't need a lot of expertise, but they really have an impact on your visit. Sally mentioned to me that 20% of people over the age of 70 will experience some form of visual impairment, so these principles are really helpful to the wider population. For the most part, when things are made more accessible, everyone benefits. If you head over to the article for this episode on artuk.org, you can see images relating to our discussion, as well as a link to learn more about Vocalize's work. I should say that their name is a clever play on words, so if you'd like to look them up, search the words vocal and eyes. As always, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in again next time.